someone in your life to whom you would like to send a greetings card today. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a warm and sunny England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or, heaven help me, causes you to choke with your cornflakes, please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. First and foremost, I'm really pleased to be back. I gather Joe did sterling work yesterday and the day before. Thank God for wonderful talk show hosts to fill in when I'm gallivanting around the country, shivering at the sides of ice rinks. I knew I could trust him to do a really good show, and he did two wonderful shows. But it's nice to be back somewhere south of London talking to you today. And I couldn't resist, I'm sorry, but... I got an endorsement. No, let me rephrase this. This thing of darkness got an endorsement from Bishop Barron. And I've popped it into the chat room. I am so excited. Sorry, I'm just going to indulge just for a moment. Please humour me. Ignatius Press sent me this thing of darkness, a novel that explores love and war, fact and fiction, all surrounding the intriguing figure of Bela Lugosi, famous for his film portrayal of Count Dracula, to have horror films, fascinating characters and gripping dialogue all against a backdrop of faith is something new and entrancing. My only hope is that authors Fiorella de Maria and K.V. Turley are already working on their next book. Um, so thanks, Louise. Yes, the excellent review. I'm really, really excited about this. You know, I didn't even know Bishop Barron is known as the Bishop of the Internet and the Bishop of Social Media. So that's fine. I just hope that particular endorsement that went into his magazine ends up all over social media. Perhaps, you know, the Founders Trading Post to better stock up on this thing of darkness. Anyway, it is also feast day of St. Francis of Assisi today. Happy feast day, all the Francis's and Francesca's out there. My Francesca is actually named after St. Francis de Sales. I have always very much loved orator, writer, spiritual director... What a man. But St. Francis of Assisi is a wonderful saint, too. I think I'm a little bit um, one of those people of my generation who were a bit put off Francis of Assisi because of the really, really terrible film, Zeffirelli film, um, about his life that came out in the early 80s, in which he's kind of portrayed as a sort of proto-hippie. Um, and uh, it, it was it was a shame, really, because there's so much more to his life. As a result, I don't know nearly as much as I should know about Francis of Assisi, and that is a, a shame on my part. I can tell you, though, that he never said the words, preach always, and sometimes use words, because he used words quite a lot and to very great effect. So, happy feast day of St. Francis. As I have kind of teased you with the mention... It is an interesting anniversary today. On this day, on this day in 1829, John Thompson of London designed the first ever greeting card. So is there anyone in honour of John Thompson of London and this great day in 1829? Is there anyone you would like to send a greetings card to today? A birthday card, a thank you card, 
To be honest, October is birthday season in our family. I think we've got six birthdays. So I will be sending a lot of birthday cards in the next few days. But is there anyone to whom you would just like to send a card? Hello. Sorry you're having a bad time. Let's be back in touch. You know, whatever it is. I think that the greetings card tradition is a lovely tradition, but it is dying out, I gather, because of online cards and, well, the internet in general and emails. People are not sending one another cards nearly as often. So maybe we should try and buck the trend by sending a card today. Well, the big news, I'm slightly behind because I've been away, but oh, the big news over here in Blighty the last week was we lost Michael Gambon. Sir Michael Gambon, famous for his role as Dumbledore in Harry Potter and for his wonderful cameo appearance in a Christmas version of Christmas special of Doctor Who, has left us aged 82. Um, he had an illustrious career, born in Dublin in 1940, educated in London. He was an engineer before he made it into Britain's National Theatre in 1963, selected personally by Sir Laurence Olivier. He was mostly a theatre actor. He had a, a wonderful stage career, but he did then become very well known for those films. I also remember him in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, I watched it as a student. I gather, well, in fact, I, I gathered at the time that Sleepy Hollow, the movie, had absolutely no connection with the book. I then read and reviewed the book and realised it's a complete fabrication. But gosh, Michael Gambon was perfect in that. So rest in peace. Another member of the acting old guard gone. Good morning, Denise Ross. Louise, everyone signing in. Jacqueline, that is a beautiful picture of sunrise. Really, really beautiful. Now, got a really difficult, really difficult story to share today, but I I just feel it's it's so serious that we have got to talk about this. And you will have followed, because the world has followed in recent years. Cases such as Charlie Gard and Alfie Evans, where um, a family have gone to court to try to stop a sick child's treatment being terminated. And they have failed and they always do. Um, I was talking to a pro-life lawyer quite recently who is involved in cases like these, these end-of-life cases that come up from time to time. And he said that basically the courts make it almost impossible, almost impossible to... Dr. Torres, what happened to the Joe Clovis show? You're not trying to make me insecure by any chance, are you? Harpo, who dis woman? My name is Fiorella de Maria. I'm your hostess from across the pond, just in case you've all forgotten who I am. Um, but anyway, this lawyer was saying that they... They do everything possible to make it difficult for the pro-life side, you know, not releasing uh, evidence quickly enough, making them go through very laborious processes, jumping through endless hoops. It is not at all the level playing field that the courts are supposed to be. This is the side people don't see. They see a very emotive case like Charlie Gard or Alfie, Alfie Evans, and they see what they think are two um 
two equally weighted sides. But that's not the way it is, because hospitals have their own in-house lawyers who get the run of all the evidence, all the medical information, whose job it is to enforce the hospital's will. Whereas the other side are usually a frightened, distressed family with no legal or medical experience, desperately trying to save a, a sick child. This particular case that's come up is one further step along a very dark road. So far, the sorts of cases we've been dealing with have been of a very sick child and parents trying to get treatment for the child. The child not being capable of expressing an opinion themselves. This particular case is much, much more serious in many ways. A 19-year-old girl died while challenging a decision to end her life-saving treatment. Sudiksha Tirumalish, age 19, she had a rare condition, a rare genetic condition, mitochondrial disease. And she reached a point where, um, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about exactly where she was from, from a Christian family. And obviously the, the disease cannot be cured. It's progressive. When she developed complications, the hospital decided to stop her treatment. Not just her family, but the teenager herself, 19, a legal adult, stated, I don't want you to stop my treatment. Please don't give up on me. She wanted to go abroad to try experimental treatment. She wasn't stupid. She was perfectly capable of understanding the issues. She had been living with this condition a long time. You know, it was her illness. She was living with it. Um... You know, she knew what the prognosis was. She knew how serious it was. She wanted to go abroad for experimental treatment, which, as far as I can make out, was absolutely her right. I find it very, very difficult to see how on earth her medical team justified trying to stop this, even, even trying to put an obstacle in her way. But they did. Their claim, when they went to court for permission to kill her, was that... She lacked capacity. Because she disagreed with them, she obviously didn't know what she was doing. She was clearly mentally incapacitated because she disagreed with their judgment. So in other words, according to these doctors, if you do what they want, you're, you know, you're perfectly capable. If you disagree, if you challenge their decisions, well, you're obviously not capable of thinking for yourself. That seems to have been the basic gist of this case. A 19 year old was denied the right to seek alternative treatment. You know, it's just, it's inconceivable to me that the doctors allowed this to happen. Her family are angry, understandably, not just because of the fact that their daughter was left to die that she was wrongly labelled incapable simply because she questioned the judgment of the doctors, but because the courts silenced them. They would not allow her name to be published. 
So the family could not even publicise her case. She was just known as ST by her initials. Her brother, Varshan, said, We were gagged, silenced and prevented from accessing specialist treatment abroad. She was really struggling for the past one year and two months and she wanted to seek the experimental th therapy abroad. She always wanted to tell her story to the public. So that's why it was very important we were able to tell the story after her death. She got the justice she deserved. Unfortunately, she's not here to see what's going on. She wanted everyone to know what was happening. Um, the judge had said, however, because she, she wanted to go to Canada, there was a nucleotide therapy available. But the judge ruled she could not make the decision for herself because she did not have mental capacity. From the evidence, it appears treatment in Canada is not an immediate option because the trial has been paused as a result of funding constraints. Um, she then um, went into cardiac arrest and died uh, early la uh, middle of last month. You know, she she'd been through so much, and I find it I find it so devastating that this happened. And I I just I can't even see what anyone thought they were gaining by doing this to her. What did it matter to anyone in a British hospital if she went to Canada? Um, Jacqueline's asking, was she being held hostage? Why didn't she just leave the country? I'd go on vacation. Um, the difficulty is she was in intensive care. She, she wasn't fit enough just to get on a plane. Or she would have done. You know, she would have needed um, considerable help to get from Britain to Canada. You know, she was on a ventilator. You know, she, she needed a lot of medical help in order to get to Canada, that that was the difficulty. And they were not prepared, that the hospital was not prepared to provide it. And Jacqueline saying, freedom of speech, I would have gone to the media. To be quite honest, I think I would have done something similar. If you break a court order and you report um, anything that has been barred by the courts, you can end up in prison yourself. You can be charged with contempt of court. Now, sometimes there are very good reasons why courts do not allow information to be made public for example if it's a custody case involving a young child the identifying details of the child will be barred by the courts if uh, for example it's a very high profile case and if the name of the or the names of the individuals concerned will potentially jeopardize the trial then there may be a, a call for there to be um, a media ban. In this case, I can't see any reason why there was this bar. Um, I think I would have gone to the media and risked ending up in court myself. But then, you know, it's, it's easy enough for me to say that. It's whether they would have found an editor brave enough to publish the details, knowing that he might also have ended up in court. But of course, in these days of social media, you don't need a newspaper editor. They don't have that kind of stranglehold anymore. Um, Jacqueline saying this, there's absolutely no justice if you cannot speak up if injustice is being done to you. Um, Ross saying, you know, what can the courts do to her? Kill her? I'd sing like a bird to the press. Yes, I mean, from her point of view, there was nothing more they could do. Um, it was, um, yeah, especially it's what, what would have happened to her family. Um, Dr. Torres is saying, to my mind, in this culture of death, to prevent a human being from seeking her own course of medical treatment to extend her life is a form of human sacrifice. We have given our governments too much power over our lives. 
um, Alexis de, uh, de Tocqueville um, quote here. Above this race of men stands an immense and tutelary power which takes upon itself alone to secure their gratifications and to watch over their fate. That power is absolute, minute, regular, provident and mild. It would be like the authority of a parent if, like that authority, its object was to prepare them for manhood, but it seeks, on the contrary, to keep them in perpetual childhood. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Kaiser saying, that doesn't only happen with young children, it also happens with elderly patients. In 2017, we lost my grandmother to what I would um, called death by doctor. My father took my grandmother to the emergency room for stitches after a fall on a wet floor. After her stitches were completed, she was admitted for the early stages of kidney failure. Three and a half weeks later, she passed from kidney failure, thanks to a nephrologist who treated her in a way that actually caused her kidneys to fail. That information was given to us by a family friend. It's also a physician who reviewed her records after she passed. At the midpoint, Mark we tried to have her transferred to a different hospital or to a different care team. We were fought at every turn by the hospital. Yeah. Um, I think this is, um, I, I think this is unfortunately a common problem in many countries. And uh, Jacqueline here is saying, if, if you're an adult, you can go to the press. They can't go after your family for that. Did she not have access to social media? I actually don't know um, in the end whether to protect her family um, whether she's, she said nothing or exactly what her motivation was. Um, certainly, as you say, there was nothing more they could have done to her. Um, though perhaps she felt there was a modicum of chance that she might be able to fight her case and might be able to win her case. Though I think it is very, very difficult to win a case like that in the courts. I mean, it's not just, I mean, you know, we've, we had this case in, in Terry, the Terry Schiavo case as well um, in the States. You know, I think once the courts get involved, it it gets very difficult. And as I said, it's not a level playing field. It's just not a level playing field. It's 30 minutes past the hour. You're listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. Sorry, I'm not looking at the clocks. I'm so upset about this case. If you missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And we are talking about the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. Happy feast day if St. Francis is your patron saint. And it's also the anniversary of the design of the first ever greeting card in 1829 in London. Is there someone to whom you need to send a card today? This would be the moment. And small brag here, I've had... This thing of darkness has had an endorsement from Bishop Barron, and I am really excited about it. We are also mourning the death of Sir Michael Gambon, a towering figure in British theatre and film, most famous for his roles in Harry Potter and Doctor Who, latterly. Another member of the old guard gone, we salute him. But the main story of the segment, a young woman who was processed to death by doctors... She was suffering from mitochondrial disease. She wanted to have experimental treatment in Canada. The doctors claimed she lacked mental capacity because she disagreed with them. And we are talking about what's happened. Her family have, of course, gone to the press. It's all over the BBC. My just, my hope, my my profound hope is that sooner or later people are going to wake up it could be you other people are writing in the chat room about things that have happened to their own family members 
I think one of the problems can be, and I do not wish to demonize doctors about this because a doctor once told me that she felt that medicine can be extremely coercive and it's very easy as a doctor to fail to notice that. You can phrase a question in such a way that makes a patient feel they absolutely have to do as they're told. Oh, you don't want to be resuscitated, do you, if you go into cardiac arrest? I mean, you know, most people wouldn't be too bothered by it. You're not so interested, are you? you know, the asking of leading questions is very easy before it any, ever gets anywhere near the courts. So... I can see how dangerous this is. In the end, you know, if you're seriously ill, you put yourselves in the hands of the medical profession and you have got to trust that they know what they're doing and that they're acting in your best interests. And yet when cases like this come up, I mean, personally, I, I feel these things just should not end up in the courts. It is a failing on the part of a medical team if it goes anywhere near the courts. And I suppose the only consolation is it's very rare for that to happen. But that is going to be no consolation for the family of this beautiful young woman. It really is. So we have to go to an ad break now. So I'm leaving you with that thought. You know, how can we protect those who are most vulnerable, who find themselves at odds with their own medical teams? You are listening to The Early Show. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844 844- Five two seven eight seven two three, and the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join this incredibly important conversation. The early show will continue in a few moments here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. Good morning, all you early risers and in 
on the axe and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday and those of you who possibly have hangovers based on this music for those of you just joining us you are listening to the early show with your hostess from across the pond Fiorella de maria our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723 that's 844-527-8723 and the crusader stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat do talk to me do join the conversation as you enjoy a hearty breakfast of chocolate orange Weetos. My children have just discovered that cereal. It sounds disgusting to me. We are talking about uh, fairly serious subjects first thing in the morning. Sorry about that. In no particular order, it is the anniversary of the design in 1829 of the first ever greeting card here in London. So is there someone to whom you need to send a card today? A birthday card? A sympathy card, a thank you card, a sorry card, even a let's get back in touch kind of card. This thing of darkness has had an endorsement from Bishop Robert Barron, and I am deeply overexcited about it. But on a more serious note, oh, sorry, no, it is the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. How could I possibly forget the man who never said preach always and sometimes use words, but a great figure in the life of the church. Serious subject uh, from Britain. A young woman, a teenager, fought through the courts for the right to continue her treatment abroad. She had mitochondrial disease. She wanted to go to Canada for experimental treatment. The hospital stopped her, took her to court to stop the treatment, claiming she lacked mental capacity because she disagreed with them. This is a new low when it comes to really nasty court cases in this country involving people desperately trying not to be killed off. Uh, Worst still, her name was barred from the media. The family were forbidden from mentioning her name or talking about her story. They have now gone public. They're all over the BBC. So I hope everyone gets to hear this story. Let's all please say the name of Sudiksha. She needs to be remembered. Um, it's a devastating case. I can't imagine how her family are going to move on from this, but she needs to be remembered. Um, Dr. Torres in the chat room talking about um, Tocqueville's democracy in America. After having thus successively taken each member of the community in its powerful grasp and fashioned them at will, the supreme power then extends its arm over the whole community. It covers the surface of society with a network of small, complicated rules, minute and uniform, through which the most original minds and the most energetic characters cannot penetrate to rise above the crowd. The will of men is not shattered, but softened, bent and guided. Men are seldom forced by it to act, but they are constantly restrained from acting. Such a power does not destroy, but it prevents existence. It does not tyrannize, but it compresses, enervates, extinguishes and stupefies a people till each nation is reduced to be nothing better than a flock of timid and industrious animals of which the government is the shepherd." Talkville was prescient, was he not? Asks Dr. Torres. What do we all think? Answers in the chat room. 
Kaiser talking about what happened to his grandmother in hospital, saying, well, I know it's very unchristlike of me to have said this. When I was able to speak with the physician that treated my grandmother after she'd passed, I told him, I hope that when you and your loved ones find yourself in a similar position, that you each receive the same care and attention that you gave my grandmother. Um, well, I suppose it is unchristlike to say it, and yet it is it's making quite an important point. When people support the poor treatment of individuals in hospital, it's, it's neglecting to note that they may themselves find themselves in that position one day. I always found this most frightening when I worked for the pro-life campaign. In a way, even though abortion was a horrific subject to have to deal with day in, day out, um, I've been born and I knew I would never have an abortion. So in some ways, it felt just a little bit, just a very little bit distant. It, it's never quite so distant when you're pregnant and you're thinking about unborn babies a lot. But it was just that much more removed from my experience. And yet when it came to end of life care and euthanasia and all of that, I found it much more frightening because um, we're all going to find ourselves at some stage in our lives in that level of vulnerability. Um, it's one of those things we... You know, we just have to consider. Kaiser saying, OK, the heavy stuff is out of the way. Let's start talking about food. You're right. Let's talk about food. Ashley wants a cinnamon bun. There we go. Food. Wonderful. Um, Louise agreeing with Dr. Torres that um, the Tocqueville was prescient. Um, Kaiser, I'm thinking of Maggie O'Connell's pain perdu from last week. It's sounding pretty good this morning. Aka French toast, a.k.a. French toast. Um, yeah, Ashley could go for French toast as well. Yay. Um, Louise saying, uh, Kaiser, you're making a point um, with the malpracticing doctors. Maybe it was unchrist like, but it may have made them reflect on what they had done or hadn't done. Absolutely. Um, Denise M, I used to have a crush on Robert Palmer, died too early. Um, Kaiser, I used to have a crush on his backup band. I think Mr. Palmer single handedly revived the little black dress. <laughs> Okay, this is the, the song I didn't recognise at all. Yes, there we go. Okay, food. Anyone want to talk about food briefly? Well, actually, I tell you what. Um, this isn't a light subject, but it's a good deal lighter than what we've been talking about. I read with a certain level of horror um, and fascination at the same time the story of the three astronauts who got stranded in space for over a year. Is it just me or is that like everybody's worst nightmare? A NASA astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts returned to Earth last week after being stuck in space for just over a year. And American Frank Rubio set a record for the longest US fl space flight as a result of this extended stay. Um, they, had, they were supposed to be doing a 180-day mission in the International Space Station, but it all went a bit wrong because the return capsule that was supposed to take them back to Earth had a malfunction. It got hit by space junk and had to be returned empty because it wasn't safe for them to get in. And of course, you don't just have warehouses full of these capsules. It's not like you can just call Amazon and say, sorry, can you just, um, can you just send us a capsule, please, to the International Space Station? They had to make another one. <clears throat> these things take time. So they ended up being stuck in space for 371 days. 
371 days in space. Oh, I would not have fancied that at all. Mind you, I would hate to go to space. Really, really would hate it. Um, Rubio pointed out um, when they were pulled out of the capsule um, that he had, you know, he'd missed some quite important milestones in his family's lives. Um, he'd uh, missed the oldest of his children finishing her first year at the U.S. Naval Academy. Another was heading off uh, to West Point Military Academy. Um, and he said that the psychological aspect of spending so long in space was tougher than he'd expected. I bet it was. Um, NASA has no plans as of now for more year-long missions, so he may keep that record. I think it's a record he could probably have done without, frankly. Um, it was the first space flight for Rubio. Can you imagine? Oh, yes, I'll, I'll go to space. I really fancied going to space. No, no, I'd like to come back now. Um, uh, Petalin, uh, one of the Russians, also was doing his first space flight. And Prokofiev um, has now done two long stints at the International Space Station. So I, I think, you know, well done, lads for getting back and I, I hope you can keep your feet on terra firma and enjoy your families and never ever have to go to space again um certainly as trapped in space i mean it's not exactly martian but you know don't don't like the idea of it very much um uh-oh what's all this so kevin mccarthy i take it is the singer of that song I feel as if Mike does this on purpose. It's a bit a bit like sort of throwing a child who can't swim into the middle of the sea and saying, there we are, you'll be fine. Um, uh, Will Nell 71, yay, Kevin McCarthy's gone, Paul C, good morning. Um, Will Nell, gonna have to face your addicted to love. Okay, this is a song, is it? Right. Um, King Dude pointing out de Tocqueville couldn't process what he saw here in America. It was so um, unchristendom. We should listen to him. Oh, Dr. Toro saying um, another pres prescient Frenchman is the late Jean-Francois Revel. Aha. Lost Exit to Utopia, the survival of socialism in a post-Soviet era. Ah, interesting. Um, Louise saying there's lots of news yesterday. The Speaker of the House seat vacated. Speaking of vacant seats, Bergoglio is hinting at blessing same-sex unions. Um Kaiser, finally, someone has outdone American Airlines for a flight today. <laughs> That's really funny. I flew American Airlines once. Actually, they were wonderful. Um, I was, in fact, told when I was in America, do not fly any American airline. They, they've got a terrible uh, reputation for, you know, bad customer service and all sorts of things. I will say um, I still feel very grateful to the crew on that American Airlines flight because I collapsed just as we were coming in. Uh, to land, and they were just wonderful. Uh, it was probably the most, in fact, I think it was the most embarrassing experience of my entire life, and they were they were just wonderful to me. So that particular crew, that particular American Airlines flight, yeah, they were great. Um, oh, that's really embarrassing. I'm so sorry. I assumed you were talking about the band. Um, I have been reading the news, by the way, about the speaker getting ousted. I had just, in fact, forgotten his name, Kevin McCarthy. Sorry. Really embarrassing. Yes, um, I did. I did see what had happened. I wasn't going to comment because I thought it might be a rather sensitive issue. And I suspect I don't know why I have this funny feeling the King dude might have quite a lot to say about it later. Would I be right? Um, yes. Um, Trump Speaker of the House. OK, yes. Sorry about that. 
wires crossed. I do. Get, you have to understand when when music gets put up that I don't get, my my poor little head starts spinning, and I don't know where I am, and I get very very lost. Yes, Ashley, you're right. Yes, that, that's right. You're, it's going to be spoken about a lot today. So let's talk about something else, shall we? Well done to those spacemen. I hope they are okay. It is 54 minutes past the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. We have been talking about the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. Shall we? Let's pray, shall we? I think we need St. Francis's intercession for very obvious reasons. Um, it is also the anniversary of the design of the first greetings card. So send a greeting card to someone you love or maybe someone with whom you have lost touch. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? There we go. Um, a young woman was denied the right to seek treatment abroad and died. She went into cardiac arrest before her case could conclude. I'm just going to find it for you. There are a whole list of foods that Brits eat, which nobody understands. 45 common UK meals that make tourists question whether British people have any taste. And I am astonished by some of the things that you people don't um, don't eat, like custard creams with tea. I mean, custard cream biscuits are the only thing anyone could possibly want to have with a cup of tea. Um, but apparently this is really strange. Lava bread on toast. Can I just say that I have no idea what lava bread is. It's a Welsh thing and never had it. Mushy peas, which are as revolting as they are described as being. It's only a northern English thing. OK, it's not an English thing to eat mushy peas. It's northern. I've no idea where that comes from, but it is absolutely horrible. I agree. Scotch eggs. Scotch eggs are delicious and we eat them all the time. You get them at pubs, you have them on picnics. Boiled eggs covered in sausage meat and breadcrumbs. The best possible snack. I don't see why there's a problem with that. Can someone tell me why there's a problem with scotch eggs? Can someone in fact tell me why there is a problem with baked beans? We do eat a lot of baked beans and baked beans or spaghetti hoops on toast are a pretty standard children's tea time snack. Again, I don't see why anyone has a problem with Yorkshire pudding. Um, even though it is a savoury dish, even though it's called pudding. Um, I don't eat chips with curry sauce, so don't worry. I do not drink Vimto. See, part of the problem here... Part of the problem here is that a lot of these things that have been described as typically British dishes aren't in fact typically British dishes at all. They are very regional or they're quite old fashioned. For example, I don't know anyone who drinks Vimto, which is a sort of very, very sweet kind of blackcurrant drink, uh, though it was a big thing in the 70s. Cheese and pickle sandwiches. I would like you to know it's the best lunch ever. Cheese with a layer of Branston pickle is just perfect that the combination of flavors if you've never tried it then have a go aha philip saying i like mushy peas scotch eggs are amazing baked beans it all sounds good so far there we go jacqueline saying i absolutely love yorkshire pudding i like popovers as well and i love bangers and mash there we are it's not so weird a cheese and pickle sandwich is like your, your standard lunchtime snack. Okay, Marmite, I don't get. You either love Marmite or you hate it. There is nothing in between. It's, it's well known. There's actually a whole market 
you know, the, the, the advertising campaigns are always love it or hate it. We, we even refer to things being a bit Marmite. In, in other words, there's no, yes, there's no grey area. Love, hate it. That's, that's, those are the two options. Um, Marmite, I, I don't get it, but there we are. Colin the Caterpillar Cake. Caterpillar-shaped cakes are wonderful and not just for children. My children have all had Colin the Caterpillar cakes, and I wouldn't be averse to one myself. There we are. I'm trying desperately to stop a conversation about, okay, about what's going on in the House of Representatives. And sorry again, I did not remember who Kevin McCarthy was. My bad. Red Leicester cheese. It's, it is bright orange, and it's wonderful. There we are. And by the way, it's, a, it's an evil myth that Brits eat lasagna and chips. We don't. I would like you to know we don't do that. And there is nothing wrong with jacket potatoes and beans. I've no idea what that is, Dr. Torres. Sorry. Uh, is that a potato? Um, spaghetti hoops. Kaiser. Yes. Spaghetti hoops. The taste of my childhood. Um, Jacqueline saying, so I actually have liver sausage, dili havati and pickles on rye for, for lunch today. OK, that sounds quite fun. Um, Louise, Dr. Torres, I'm glad that at last a Republican actually followed through on a promise and acted courageously. Kaiser is horrified. Spaghetti hoops, spaghetti hoops. Yes, it's best not to really call them spaghetti because they, they aren't really like spaghetti in any realistic sense of the word. Um, they're like a cross between, well, they're almost like a sort of one stage away from baked beans. Um, there we are. Lady Bellamine, I enjoy the food conversation, Fiala. Thanks for bringing it there. Dr. Torres, haggis. Again, that's Scottish. Um, I actually really like haggis. If you get your head away from the fact that it is basically sheep's stomach... Um, if you if you just don't think too much about what goes into haggis, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like like with blood sausage in a black pudding. If you don't think too much about what it is, haggis is actually really delicious. Unfortunately, I can't tolerate it. It makes me very sick. But it's a shame because I do in fact like it. Um, I I cooked it once for a German au pair who was coming to stay. We did a Burns night, and you know it is actually really delicious. Um, Maggie. So, gosh, I remember eating that stuff when I was young, but now I couldn't imagine attempting to eat that now. Um, Uh-oh, spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghettios. Um, Philip, what was the first thing you said on toast? <clears throat> Lava bread. I have no idea what it even is. It's a Welsh thing. I have never come across it before. But yes, baked beans on toast, spaghetti hoops on toast is a classic tea time snack for children here. Um, so there we go. Um, Kaiser's saying if you fed that to prisoners, they'd bring you up on war crimes charges. It's really not that bad, you know. Um, <laughs> um, well, I mean, again, I don't know if I could eat it now. OK, what is wrong with jelly and ice cream? Jelly and ice cream is a staple of any children's party. By the way, by jelly, I mean what you call jello. OK, I don't mean jam. Right. You have you have a nice you have a couple of scoops of ice cream with a whole lot of jelly and it's just delicious. Again, I'm not sure I could eat it now. Um, looking at it, I think, gosh, do I really eat that? It doesn't look quite so appetising. But it's a traditional English dessert. And who, who, 
could have a problem with Vianetta ice cream. Vianetta ice cream, let me tell you, was the height of chic in the late 1980s. It was what you brought out when you had a dinner party. Ice cream with layers of thin chocolate. So it would crunch as you cut it open. It was just too perfect. And you could get different flavours. My favourite being mint choc chip, Vianetta. Um, okay, Philip has put um, lava bread in the chat room. Lava bread is a food product made from lava, an edible seaweed consumed mainly in Wales as part of local traditional cuisine. It's mostly found around the west coast of Great Britain and the coasts of Ireland. Yes, I literally had never come across it until I read this article. I have no idea what it tastes like. Um, I'm not a big fan of seaweed, um, though I have had it. Yes, it doesn't look appetising. It, it looks, frankly, quite grotesque. I have no intention of eating lava bread. I have had a really delicious seaweed in Chinese restaurants, though. If it's cooked, it tends to be very salty is the only thing. If it's really cooked, very, very crisp, with a lot of salt and even a little bit of sugar, it's really, really delicious. That's the only time I can eat seaweed. Uh, that, I think, I think yes, I think lava bread I would probably pass. Okay, we call them crisps, you call them chips. Prawn cocktail crisps. Crisps, or chips, are a very, very popular snack over here. Um, I always have a big box of packets of crisps in the pantry in my kitchen, um, just so that when my children come home, if they want a quick bite to eat that's what they'll go for there are loads of different flavors the most popular being ready salted salt and vinegar cheese and onion not quite so much smoky bacon prawn cocktail and they come in pink packages and it's wonderful i don't even like prawns but i love prawn cocktail crisps okay maggie oh maggie how could anyone eat that it looks like mud from a louisiana ditch Okay, looks can be dece deceiving, can't they? You know, sometimes, sometimes it can look awful and taste wonderful. I have to say, though, I have no desire whatsoever to eat mushy seaweed on toast. I, I, I think that might be a little bit beyond um, you eat with your eyes first. It looks horrible. Okay, yes, I, I can't really defend it having never eaten it, to, to be honest, and having no desire at all to eat it. Okay, this is something, come on, we've got to agree on this. Boiled eggs with soldiers. Right. A soft boiled egg in a little egg holder, you knock off the top and then you get toast and butter it and then you cut it into long pieces called soldiers and you dip them in the egg and eat it. And it is just really wonderful. Again, the perfect breakfast when you're a child. Boiled eggs and soldiers. Messy, but really delicious. Kaiser, um, prawn cocktail crisps sound like an upgrade over the ketchup-flavoured chips found in Canada. I have had ketchup-flavoured crisps before. They're not very popular over here. I think I've only ever had them the once, and I suspect they might be the sort of thing you do only ever have once. Um, I have never known anyone eat chips or fries, as you call them, in a bread bun um, I've never come across, I mean, I've, I've come across chip butties before, but I've never actually had one. Again, it's a northern thing. I would never do that. Fish finger sandwich. Come on. It's great. Fish fingers. You have fish fingers, right? Fish sticks, right? Um, in a bun, a savoury bun, that is a bap. Perfect. The perfect Friday snack. Fish finger sandwich. It even, I think, features in... Um, 
Doctor Who at one point. I don't eat crisps in my sandwich. That's just too weird. Um, in fact, quite a lot of these things are just... What is this? Hang on. Soda bread. Soda bread isn't even English. I think it's Irish origin. Um, okay, someone's actually put a picture of lava seaweed. Yeah. I, I, it's, not, it's not really selling itself. Mm. Ooh. Um, Jacqueline, oh my goodness, I've not had that in ages. Now I have to do that. I used to do it all the time. Put my toast in my boiled egg. There we are. Okay, should we move on from lava bread? It seems to have really, really touched a nerve with people this morning. Boiled egg with soldiers, Jacqueline. Absolutely. You make yourself boiled egg with soldiers this morning. Um, <laughs> guys, the coffee all over myself. Sorry. It seems to me the food conversations are quite dangerous. I mean, you know, maybe we should go back to talking about end of life care. Um, I don't eat chips with gravy. That is just disgusting. I do know people who do, though. Naming no names, my ex-boss, John Smeaton. Um, ice cream. British puddings. Now, look. Paul C is saying lava bread looks like looks like bad hair. Um, <laughs> Lady Bellamine says there's a tea shop not far from me that actually serves fish fingers and custard, along with a whole collection of teas. Um, you know, nobody actually eats fish fingers with custard over here. It was just that because it featured in that Doctor Who episode, the Matt Smith episode, where when he's introduced to Amelia Pond and he's looking for something to eat. He ends up eating fish fingers and custard. I don't know who, which scriptwriter thought that was funny, but it's become a thing. But not one I have any intention of, of trying. I just find the idea absolutely horrible. Love custard. Fish fingers are fine. Not together. Thank you very much. Um, Jacqueline saying technically a filet um, in McDonald's is a fish finger sandwich, just a uh, big fish. Yes, I mean, th that's that's true. Yes, the, the, the fillet of fish that you get in, in McDonald's, it's not it's not dissimilar. Yeah, um, though we don't tend to put mayo on absolutely everything here. Um, Jeffy Mann, I wouldn't be able to dip my bread into my egg because I won't get anywhere a cooked egg that isn't cooked all the way through. I like my eggs hard, break the yolk. Oh, no, a runny egg. Come on. It's just so comforting. First thing in the morning. Um, no, I do like I do like a nice runny egg. When there was the salmonella scare, the biggest tragedy was there were no boiled eggs and sauce, uh, no, no boiled egg and soldiers because... Um, in the 80s, there was a salmonella crisis. There was a big outbreak and you could eat eggs, but they had to be they had to be hard boiled. They had to be very, very well cooked. Um, so that, that was devastating. Um, yes, I, I think I, th I think possibly. Yes, we, we, we're in agreement here. Fish bacon? Will now. Is that a thing? Um, good grief. Um, Paul C, dipping toast in runny yolks is great. Or dipping pancakes. No, I would draw the line there. Absolutely not. Um, but one thing that is being, is being pointed out in this, this uh, long litany of British food that people don't always understand is British puddings are wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. And when I first went away to school, I hated the food. I, found, I mean, school food is notoriously horrible. But one thing I loved, which I was not used to at all, were British puddings. Apple crumble, lardy cake. I mean, really lovely, sweet, stodgy puddings. Perfect for a cold climate. And many of them came about because of the war. Crumble toppings are completely connected up with the war because of rationing. Um, literally, you, you get flour and butter and crumble it. Uh, rather than making it into dough, you crumble it and then you sprinkle it over the top of stewed apples and things like that, rather than making a pie 
crust because it just uses a lot less fat. That was the whole idea. And it's become very, very popular. Corned beef sandwiches, no way. But the puddings, oh, yes. Um, I don't get... I've mentioned corned beef before, but not in a sandwich, please. Um, And yes, we do put Worcester sauce on cheese on toast. And it's really delicious. Don't deny before you try. Um, HP sauce, again, known as brown sauce. HP stands for House of Parliament sauce. It's really good. Slightly slightly more um, vinegary than tomato ketchup. There we are. I've introduced you to all sorts of lovely things. Okay, And nobody eats chips with curry. I don't know where that comes from. We'd never do that. Um, iced buns. Perfect. Anything like that with a pudding. Um, oh, dear. This, here we go. The controversy started. Um, oh, got to go to work, Lady Bellamine. Uh, sorry to leave you all. Okay. Have a good day. Um, Jeffy Man saying, I'll eat bluebell ice cream before runny eggs. Um, Kaiser, hey now, don't mess with the bluebell. They're my neighbours, 36 miles from me. 36 miles from me is your neighbour? Yes, different distances there. A Texas institution. Jeffy Man, corned beef is so good. Yes, but not in a sandwich. Why would you put it in a sandwich? Why would anyone put it in a sandwich? Um, that is also a wartime thing, and it's not a bit of British cuisine I like. Ooh. Mike, are you there munching your corned beef sandwich? Why would I have a corned beef sandwich? I know, I just, it, I, I, I've never really got them. I, I was given them as a child. And so we call that a pastrami. Yeah. Yes, a pastrami sandwich. Yes. Yes. No, I love Horrible. pastramis, but I don't have one. Right. Uh, no, I, I, not, not, not in a sandwich. I mean, in, in a sauce, perhaps, but no way. Yes, there we are. Didn't, didn't I rescue the sad subject today? We just talked about food. That's all we needed to do. <laughs> well, the subject always turns to food, doesn't it? Oh, yes. But, it, but I had a specific request. It's a so, comforting thing to turn the subject to food. Absolutely. It's comforting. Yes. Um, and, I have, and I have yet more. I have, another, I have another 15 foods to take you through. So there we are. That'll be for another day. Um, are, are you well, Mike? And... Uh, you're recovering from the... Uh, is there a revolution going on in the States, or is it my imagination? <laughs> uh, I don't think it's a revolution. Um, it's, a, it's a mini revolt. So the... Um, I don't know what the equivalent is in the House of Commons. Is there a speaker in the House of Commons? Oh, yes. Okay. Speaker of the House. Okay. So then uh, that, that would be the equivalent. So the Speaker of the House of Representatives, as I call it, uh, uh, who was Kevin McCarthy, and who had previously had been uh, Weinbach's Nancy Pelosi, um, was voted out yesterday. This is the first time it's ever happened in American history. Wow. It's happened here before, but it's not quite. I think it's not quite as significant. Now, now it's been proposed before. It just never. It never happened. So the um, uh, the the fact that the that the vote actually went that's what's shocking people, and mm. <laughs> that um, uh, that that it went through. So I think that that's what's going on with that. Right. Okay, well, I, well, I'll be praying and watching from a distance. Oh no, it's a good thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the, the people in the, in, uh, the, uh, in the Republican Party here that are throwing hissy fits over this are just a bunch of spoiled, rotten little children who just think that they can get away with basically uh, status quo, doing nothing, uh, and mortgaging the future, uh, the future of gener- uh, uh, the future of generations away that uh, haven't even been born yet. That's how large the debt is. Well, We're like in the third generation. Do, you, do we even attempt to pay it back? You would take three generations, two that aren't that haven't even been born yet. Well, so how's that for a calling card? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Um, I shall attempt to stay tuned later to find out. Uh, well, I, th- I think I now have your take on it. So. There we go. Well, it's um, uh, the powers that be, if you will, have been served notice that they don't just get to get away with what they've been doing uh, ad nauseum or, in, or, or to infinity and beyond, <laughs> 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 to quote Buzz Lightyear. So, um, with Buzz Lightyear now. <laughs> so it was. It's it's a it's a big deal. Like I said, it never happened before. Uh, there have been two instances where it was proposed. And both uh, the the previous two votes failed, so McCarthy is actually the first Speaker of the House of Representatives to actually be ousted. Um, it's not it, a great title to have, really, is it? No, um, uh, no uh, <laughs> I think it's fitting for him, though. I never did like him to begin with. Um, uh, there were some things that appeared uh, as though that he may uh, he may get them right. He may do things right. Um, uh, but on the big and and that was just like okay, I'll give you this little bone here, but over here I'm uh, this is the real business that I'm doing is over here where I am selling you and your children down the the uh, the uh, the river and I'm making deals with the enemy. Mm. So that's why this happened, and the right. guy that decided that okay, that's it, that's enough. They're not they're, they're not getting away with this again. The guy that decided that he was uh, that he had threatened, uh, he had told uh, Speaker McCarthy, "If you do this, I will remove you." And and McCarthy very arrogantly uh, arrogantly said, "Bring it." Mm-mm. We'd say publish and be damned. Publish and be damned. So famous last words. So that's what's happening uh, with that. What will be interesting to see. Um, and one of the, I think one of the, uh, the, the, the major point, points of contention here that no one has attempted to solve or, um, uh, or, or that there was no attempt to address is the United States blank check that it's been writing to Zelensky and the Ukrainians. Um, because there is there there are enough the, uh, uh, the the American people now by a slim majority finally are going like okay that's enough that's enough we're this is not our war you need to stop you have thirty members of uh, of the two houses put together that actually signed a letter and said not another penny not another dime um, and what they did what McCarthy did was he went and made a deal secretly. With the uh, with uh, with the Democrats in the Senate, and with the re- regime leader Biden to tuck six uh, another I can't remember how many billions of dollars of funding into a bill and call it something else, so that uh, the the forever war could continue to be funded. That's what got him ousted. Right. Okay. Well, I'm 
watching with bated breath, Mike. Well, it's great. It, it you, you know, you, uh, I don't know that you would find it that interesting, because I know that when I watched, uh, we used to just for entertainment, we would watch reruns of the House of Commons debates. <laughs> because <laughs> really? they actually really? yell, but no, because they actually get up and yell at each other. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Uh, and then you, and then you, and one side or the other is allowed to clap. Yeah. Well, this is the funny thing because um, our parliament is a lot more aggressive because it's adversarial um, than yours is. You know, people literally. I mean, the, the reason why it's it, the House of Commons is structured the way it is is so that both sides are two swords length apart. It's it's from the days when you know drawn swords would occur. I did not. Um, yeah, <laughs> drawing so swords. <laughs> yeah, so the, the distance between the two sides is literally two drawn swords, so neither side could touch each other with a sword. Um, whereas it, other other countries, parliaments sound quite boring by comparison. Our courts seem very very staid by comparison because we don't allow a lot of posturing and and um, and ranting and theatrics. Um, it's it's a, the whole court system is designed to be very unemotional. Um, so. It's sort of the other way around there. But it's interesting that Parliament's so different. Well, I suppose that we kind of stole the idea for having a bicameral legislature. Uh, well, actually, mm. the Romans had one, too. Yeah, uh, it's a very ancient idea. Yeah, it's an ancient idea. Um, uh, but it, it, the, the Congress is kind of modeled on the House of Commons, and the Senate is kind of modeled on the, the House of Lords. Um, right. With, because the House of Lords, you're appointed as a lord, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's that. That's your primary uh, your your primary difference there. Um, but what people have lost uh, track of inside of is that the 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 Senate used to be appointed by the states. So you know, a senator would never stand for election. Okay. Your state legislature would just call you up and go, "Hey, Frank." <laughs> Guess what? We just voted you our next U.S. senator. Pack your bags. You're going to Washington. Was it completely random, or is it? No, no, no. It wasn't random at all. So six-year terms. Um, the, the interesting thing is, is that any state could recall their senator at any time, at any point in time, for any reason, and basically fire them and replace them. Uh, it never happened. So and now here's why it, 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 it here's why it never happened. It never happened because if a senator was doing something that uh, was against the interest of the state uh, or the state legislature or the people in the legislature, the people in the legislature would inform the senator uh, if you don't stop that or if you don't reverse that, we will recall you, shame and embarrass you, and drive you from public life forever. Um, which is a pretty good, uh, it must be a pretty good threat because it worked all the way up until the 17th Amendment in uh, 19, uh, 1915, 1916 or something. So that's the way it used to work. Your House of Lords still kind of works the same way because a Lord is appointed. Yeah. Now he can that's serve right. for life, right? Um, you get life peers. Um, you used to get hereditary peers, but uh, Blair got rid of that. Okay. Um, so yes, uh, it's. It, it, I can see the similarities between the systems. It's interesting. So, is there a term? Yeah. Um, sometimes it, it, it varies. There, there are different kinds of peer. Um, I mean, life peers, or uh, they, well, there's now there's now no hereditary peers. But um, it used to be the case that if you were an aristocrat, you 
when your father died, you inherited the title and you went to the House of Lords. Um, that that no longer happens. I suppose you know it's not very meritocratic. Um, life peers can be there for life. Sometimes it's shorter, um, but it, yes, it, it's an appointment. Now here's something that's completely off the subject and very interesting. Did you see the video at the Daily Mail of the uh, the stewardess refusing to allow the drunken uh, the the drunken siren on the aircraft? Uh, I didn't, but she was well within her rights. Oh yes, she stood at the door and went, "Uh, uh-uh, you're not coming on." And you could, yeah. And then you, you the, the the drunk woman's going like, "Why can't I come on?" And uh, and <laughs> the flight attendant's like, "If you get another step closer to me, you're going to have a really big problem. You're not getting on this aircraft. Turn around and go the other way." <laughs> and uh. The big takeaway from from it, or the big thing I got out of it, was about halfway through the conversation, and it goes on for like three minutes, uh, the uh, the video. The flight attendant goes like, if you think because you're filming me that that's going to, uh, the, uh, that's going to change my mind, you thought wrong. So mm-hmm. the, the flight attendant was like, I don't care what you do with your stupid phone and your stupid social media account. You're not getting on this plane, so you might as well turn around and go back. Yeah. Um, they, they have absolute right to do that, and pilots can refuse to, to take anybody. Because um, a friend of mine's a pilot, and if somebody's being abusive, if they're drunk, um, if they're perceived to be a danger in any way, then they do not get on the plane. Um, so well, good on her. Well, uh, if you're a threat to, if there's 180 people on the uh, on the plane, and you're just mm-hmm. and you're one, and you could cause mayhem or <laughs> or endanger the rest of the other 180 people, you kind of have a rus- uh, you, know, you kind of have a responsibility to not let her on the plane. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there've been cases of drunk people trying to open the door of the air- aircraft and, and things like this. You know, it's it's serious. See, they give a they give a bad name to drunk people like me, because I would <laughs> never do anything like that. You never do anything like that. When I would drunk, be so. similarly intoxicated, but <laughs> would never know. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream to dare to think so. And uh, also today is feast day of Saint Francis of Assisi, which you mentioned. Did you say that you named a child after Saint Francis? Uh, yes, but Francis de Sales. Oh, okay. So I yeah. think I think Francis de Sales is spelled with an E. Um, well, over here, Frances de Sales. Well, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I always spelled it with an I. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, over here, Francis with an I is a boy's name. With an E, it's a girl's name. That makes sense. Masculine, yeah. feminine gra- uh, mm. uh, rules of grammar. That's a that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, though she's Francesca, but yes, the tradition it was Francis. Yeah. Um, most people have a uh, a very jaded and incorrect uh, view or history of Saint Francis of Assisi. But you know who wrote the ultimate biography? No, Chesterton. Oh, I should know that. Yeah, you can get it in the Founders Trading Post uh, store with the biography of St. Thomas Aquinas, because he wrote both around the same time. And he didn't do any, I mean, he did did some cursory review just to get the dates right. 
<laughs> so <laughs> made it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he did. He he basically, yeah. He, I guess he asked the Holy Ghost for uh, for uh, for assistance. But it it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing biography of Saint Francis of Assisi. Many people that have read it said it's the best one that they have ever read about it. And uh, like I said, the, only, the 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 interesting thing to me is that Chesterton didn't know anything about the man. That uh, they, yeah. that he looked up well, okay born date born born date. Date that he got his order by, from the Pope, uh, date he died. Okay, got it. And then it was just kind of revealed to him, and he just started writing it down. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, well, I, I'll tell you what, I'll try and get hold of it, and I can review it for the Fiorella Files, couldn't I? Now, yes, uh, absolutely. Now, are you, are you here tomorrow, or are this South Africans? It's the South Africans tomorrow, and then I'll be here with uh, the lovely Sarah on Friday. We shall see you on Friday, then. Indeed. Enjoy oh, the rest of the week. Oh, hmm? Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir, my thumb. <laughs> it is half past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at crusadechannel.com. And the chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. And I'll leave you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel. Live talk radio the way it should be. Mm-hmm.